1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Monday, December 6th. It is a lockout edition of the podcast. So hope everyone is
1: enjoying the world without Major League Baseball, Brendan. <laughs> it's it's a weird place to be in because we signed Stroman hours before they locked out so it's kind of like mixed emotions i almost feel like the cubs won and now we're just in one big off day you know like embracing that that victory and that off day feeling that's kind of where i'm at right now so
0: it was not a dream marcus stroman is a chicago cub that is still a thing that happened and okay good i i think thank goodness right brendan i mean where would we be today if the cubs had done nothing heading into this lockout for however
1: long this is going to go on I mean, still a little bit miserable. Just we're not as miserable as usual, so it's 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 slightly better. Yeah, I <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh,
0: but it, you know, it does give us something to at least look forward to. Watching Stroman's social media, where he's talking about becoming a Cub and people getting Cubs jerseys and things like that. So yeah, that, that's that cool. exciting. And reading, there was a lot of pieces, you know, from guys like Keith Law and some of the other writers, just really praising the the Cubs deal the length of the deal and of course Stroman himself obviously being a guy who has a much higher floor than other players and the potential to have a much higher ceiling as well
1: yeah I mean you can tell he's thrilled to be part of Chicago I don't know if he's like it it definitely seems to be as if he's media savvy but he's saying every single thing correctly he wants to be part of the Cubs culture, the Chicago culture. He's pumped to be here, historical franchise. He's tweeting pictures of Cubs jerseys with his number zero and Strowman on the back of the jersey. So it's like every single checkbox you want marked by a new creation he's doing.
0: I have not seen his opinion on deep dish pizza. I would like to get that in the clear. Just hmm. it would make me feel more comfortable to know that he's pro deep I mean, dish what pizza. If, but what if he's not? Well, that's okay. I mean, okay. you know.
1: I'll judge him silently, perhaps for that. But I mean, it's okay. he was in New York for like what four years, three years. He might be, he might be a thin crust guy, Corey. You never well, know. That's okay. Chicago has good tavern style pizza as well. So they do. They we do. can we can
0: take care of him here, no matter what. Lou can yeah. take care of him. They'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, the, this kind of takes me back, Brendan, to when we were in the lockdown yeah the the initial part of of COVID when they had to cancel spring training and we weren't really sure if there was going to be a season and then we eventually got to the point where the MLB and the Players Association were not in the same way they are now but having discussions about okay how do we get back out there what are the terms what do we need to happen uh, to have happen to play a a shortened season and and all of that It, it sort of takes us back to that where there's no baseball. This is a little weirder though, because as we talked about last week, like there's no active player videos, information, anything on the MLB website, the Cubs website and stuff like that. A lot of the players, uh, I know Ian Happ and, and former Cub Trevor Williams were were some of the guys to change their Twitter avatars to that kind of like anonymous gray athlete face like from a video game or something when they don't have the picture for the athlete so they're kind of uh you know joining the 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 solidarity of the movement with the players and stuff like that but it's a it's a weird time to be a fan because it's almost as though the sport doesn't exist at the moment
1: man this is it's 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 bizarre this is the first like weird labor stoppage that we've experienced as baseball fans and you always hear about oh what happened in 1994 and the side effects of that and in a a way even though we're locked out right now I don't think like anything dramatic is going to happen if they don't play baseball this season you know how much money those owners are going to lose again coming off a COVID year so it seems more like a formality and a a negotiation tactic that for fans absolutely sucks and it does reflect extremely poorly in Rob Manfred. But in my mind, this is just uh, an evil necessity that's not going to take away from uh, this upcoming season. Hopefully, you know, famous last words, but that's what I
0: think. Yeah, I mean, I think you're a little more optimistic than I would be. I I just think, you know, you're... Come on,
1: you think they're not gonna play baseball this year? I
0: I mean, I think you're... (laughs) you're being somewhat dismissive of the greediness of billionaire owners and what concessions they're willing to make to the players i don't i don't think i i would think that everybody involved does what they can to not lose out on on revenue of the games and stuff like that but i don't think it's an impossibility at all
1: yeah, I mean, I guess I just especially because like when it, you
0: look at some of the stuff that's going on with with the talks, like some of what the, you know, the, the, the players kind of got a bit of a raw deal on a lot of the, the stuff in the last one. And I think they're going to want to recoup that. So I, I, I don't know how yeah. willing the owners are going to be to make some of these concessions.
1: Well, they can't because I need baseball, Corey. So there's no baseball in April. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. They can't can't do that. I'm
0: sure Tom Ricketts will be
1: persuaded to move things
0: along when he hears that Brendan Miller of Los Angeles, California, is upset that he doesn't have the Cubs to
1: watch. I mean, seriously, no baseball for four more months, five more months. That's unacceptable. But, like, really, after coming off this COVID season and even losing – gauge revenue for most teams through june of last year i don't know i just feel as if they may push it but i don't think it's going to get to the point where they're taking away april games again And if they do then i mean we're going to have a massive issue about the long-term health of this sport and maybe losing more fans again i just it seems so obvious they cannot do that but you're right these owners do make short-term decisions that are not sometimes in the best interest
0: well and obviously it's this is how negotiations go. I don't really expect anything different, but when you hear Rob Manfred's press conference last week and some of the statements from the owners and stuff like that, like it's it's very one-sided, obviously. Again, like I know they're in negotiations, so I'm not naive to think that it would be different, but when you hear so much of the talk from the owners kind of like putting it on the players, right? Like we negotiated in good faith and the players weren't willing to make these concessions or have reasonable talks at the table and stuff like that. You know, it just it feels very like adversarial, right? Like it just doesn't that. feel good. And when you look at some of the stuff, and, and really what we wanted to talk about uh, at the beginning here, just to lay it out, talk a little bit about the lockout. Then we want to talk uh, some about what happened with Michael Hermosillo, who is back with the Cubs, as we mentioned last week on a major league deal. And then just some of the the last free agent stuff, who the Cubs were in on, who they weren't. But Starting with the lockout, you know, you look at some of the stuff, and Manfred talked about this where he said one of the worst things is, you know, a player leaving for free agency for some of these teams, and that allowing that to happen after, you know, and, and a year earlier as opposed to the six years that it is now is just not something they're willing to entertain. And how he talked about that that particular thing was very hard on the smaller market teams, it's it's really hard not to, one, be kind of concerned about that type of talk, right? Because that's a huge point for the players, getting to free agency earlier, accruing service time earlier, just making it easier for them to hit free agency and make more money, right? but then you know you're you're getting this talk about the small market teams right and it's it's just hard not to roll your eyes right like yeah. the, the, the the these teams are are so wealthy i think the kansas city royals recently sold for over a billion dollars right and we're supposed to sit here and believe that a a player hitting free agency in the 5th year and the 6th year is is going to cripple the Kansas City Royals from <laughs> being able to come in last place again in the AL Central like it just it it doesn't have a good feel and it's really hard not to just feels like there's there's obviously a, a greediness and a you know just
1: like disingenuousness of it all from the ownership side of things I don't understand. Maybe you get it and I don't. Manfred going to the public and saying the players didn't do this and the players didn't do that. Like, does that really put pressure on Tony Clark to negotiate? differently well like, the thing mo- about Rob feels- Manfred Brendan is that he is an idiot so <laughs> that's true and all I mean I this is understand. I
0: think this is what he wanted right like he hates baseball it seems so this is great for I him guess. there's no baseball you you can't have a five and a true. half hour you're baseball
1: right. game that he can freak right. out about if there's no baseball at all you're right you know we're stupid he's the one playing the right game over here you're right about that but like like I, I really I don't understand the tactic I feel Maybe it's just my Twitter timeline and the people that I interact with, but like I rarely if ever see anyone so pro owner. Like, yeah, like go Rob Manfred, yeah, go lockout. Like, I rarely ever see that. It's not to say I, I'm not privy to all these details whatsoever. So I maybe the players are somewhat not negotiating. Well, I have zero idea, but I just don't get why Manfred think that's a good tactic it's like talking down on your players has got to be the stupidest thing of any commission yet yeah. right but
0: I mean well and I, I think I a know? lot of people have made this point but what's interesting I mean obviously I was like three years old when the 1994 lockout happened I don't recall were you even born yet was I even born yet yeah I was born yet Corey I I don't have your birthday on file Brendan well I thought so. you did I thought it's in your eye calendar uh no it's not but like so obviously i don't remember that but clearly one of the the main differences whether we were around for it or not is the presence of social media and how connected so many people are to the players and to what's going on like even in the the covid lockdown when we were trying to figure out what was going on like you could turn in you could tune into the compound with Ian Happ and the guys and he was giving you a pretty like detailed rundown of what was happening at least in his life and he may not have had all the answers and uh, g- like give the full picture of every negotiation that's happening but like you had an idea of where someone in on the major league team and involved in the players association was with all of this and you know that's sort of why I bring up the thing with the guys changing their Twitter profile pictures and stuff like that like we're connected to these players in in years past and I would think in 1994 like that's like pre everybody really even having a computer and the internet in their home and stuff like that so at that time if the owners put out a letter in the newspaper or on TV like Manfred did with his press conference last week, that's going to dominate most of the the public thought, right? Because we don't have any other information. Like now, if Manfred or one of the owners says something that's erroneous or unfair or anything, like Ian Hap can literally just log on and tweet to us like, hey, this is BS, right? Or yeah. they can go on any number of podcasts across the country and just tell us like exactly what's going on and sort of sway the public sentiment a little more in their favor. And so that I think is going to be really interesting to follow that I'm not, I'm not sure where a lot of people are going to land, but the players themselves have access to the public now and can kind of keep us in the loop on what's going on and and maybe where they'd like us to understand things
1: i feel as if players within the last five years because of twitter and again it could just be because we're on twitter but the uh the the level of comfort criticizing manfred or baseball i i i don't recall that happening in like the two thousands or the early two thousand tens. For example, the the Nick Castellanos post game comment. Have you seen this video where like one fan is, hey, imagine Manfreds to baseball and, and nick Castellanos brings this fan on right. the Reds post game. Like I, like you never saw that before. And even Stroman um, engaging with fans during his free asian frenzy and and all that like it it seems they're more willing to be more public about the behind the scenes type stuff or criticizing major league baseball and that even happened during like the COVID season um when most players were all tweeting we're here we're ready let's get this going and it did not happen but it's 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 weird and when the covid lockdown stuff was happening i dreaded getting to this point so maybe in a way i've I've always been prepared for this but truthfully i i just can't imagine them going through april with 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 no baseball yeah i mean the thing that that sort of stands out for
0: me is that we just heard and i think jeff passan wrote about this and obviously you kind of heard that sentiment from manfred uh in his press conference but you know the the line at least so far is they're not really willing to consider the free agency thing prior to 6 years of service time or years for or excuse me ways for them to accrue that service time quicker. Um, and it sounds like, you know, changes to the arbitration process that would benefit the players and even stuff with like the luxury tax just is not on the table for the owners. And maybe it will be as these talks go on, but th- that's the key stuff for the players. So if that's off the table, that that's where my sort of like pessimism with this comes into play because that that's what mm-hmm. the players want that that's what this is about I think for right. the players is how do we get these players to make more money sooner and and not be sort of trapped in that six year service time arbitration cycle that that some of these guys in uh, are are in when it's it's really obvious right and this has happened with the Cubs like that they are performing at a level that is worth more money. Right. And right. and there's obviously two sides to that, but that's the key point, I think, for for the players, or at least one of them, and the sound of it right now is that the owners are just not willing to consider this. And as I mentioned earlier, like Manfred's doing the whoa is the small market teams, like we can't have players reaching free agency early, blah, blah, blah. And so if that if that's if that's not gonna be on the table, I'm I'm not sure how quickly these conversations are gonna move and there there's talk of the revenue sharing thing obviously the you know the teams are in a revenue sharing program to sort of like you know benefit the smaller market teams <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot it's of complex. them don't put that money back into the team they just sort of pocket it so you'd need to look into changing stuff of that but then that's going to be a whole separate issue in and of itself right like i'm sure a team like the cubs would be mm-hmm. fine with not giving more money to the I don't know why I keep using the Kansas City Royals as the the punching bag here but it's just I can tell it's just what it's just what keeps coming to mind um I'm sure that the the Cubs the Yankees the Red Sox the Dodgers like I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem with that but those other teams certainly would like they don't want to change that and and what would happen if you did so I I, I don't I I would guess that we don't miss games. I think when you sort of put that pressure on things, uh, negotiations tend to ease up a little bit or people are more willing to make concessions.
1: But the sound of it as we start this process is really not good. Yeah, it's not good. I I don't understand the fine details and I'm not going to pretend as if I do. But I, I am curious in how it gets resolved for the small market versus big market scenarios where you have, let's say, Mike Trout. If Mike Trout were on the raise and Mike Trout's point putting up, you know, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle numbers as a 23-year-old, 24-year-old, I, like are the Rays going to trade him away because they can't afford to pay him? Like I, I, I do wonder how that works. But at the same time, Mike Trout is worth that money right and so it's it's a weird dissonance that i don't quite understand how it gets resolved um but i do think it's going to be a drastic change regardless i have always anticipated that the one thing i'm a little disappointed about though is we're not going to get any like actual baseball changes from a rules perspective for now at least that's what at least what it it seems like um So I was excited to at least follow that. I I mean, excited, relatively speaking. But it sounds as if uh, we're not going to have any rules changes for the 2022 season. So I was disappointed to hear that.
0: Yeah, so that was, I think, a report from Jason Stark. And basically, where it's at now, this can always change. It sort of depends how things are going to proceed forward here. But basically, what Jason Stark was saying is that the owners don't want those possible rule changes to be used as leverage against them uh, over some of the economic issues. So, you know, things like the DH, Which I
1: understand. I think that makes pitch sense. Pitch clocks.
0: I, well, it makes sense from if you're an owner trying to protect your best interest. Is it the right thing for the, the growth of the game? I mean, I, oh, I don't absolutely know not. about that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the immediate things that sort of stands out is like that would take some of the pitch clock stuff, some of the game movement stuff off of the table at least for now and so what have we been doing right like Manfred has been on this crusade to speed up games we have tried all this nonsense at the MLB level the lower levels certainly have tried other rules and stuff like that but now when we get into nego- negotiations money is more important right so that's mm. just obviously frustrating I think isn't it like we've heard so much about the, the pace of the game the pace of play this and that And as soon as there's something more important, Manfred's just like, oh, no, okay, forget it. I know. know? Well,
1: yeah, with Manfred, I think the biggest criticism that fans can give to him is that there's not a cohesive message to improve the game. And so for years, as you said, it was improving the pace, uh, pitch clock. Uh, shortening the time between innings, having a clock out there in center field so the umpires know to to speed things up. So that was a message for five-plus years, and all of a sudden, that did take a back seat. And we heard why. Well, because we have other commissioners of other major American sports suggesting that that piece of play is an advantage monetarily in the form of gambling. So what happens? You have Wrigley Field building gambling spots you have other teams doing the same. And so now gambling has become more of a mainstay message for baseball, not the pace of play. And so that's where the frustration comes in for me, because you, I think, I think baseball needs a consistent message. And for years of hearing about this inevitable lockdown, like what have we been doing for two years? If you can't stay on message about the actual sports and the gameplay of that sport then I don't really have much confidence to to resolve this in an efficient or amicable manner I do think it gets resolved but how much blood will have to be shed to get to that point and how much time has been wasted where he could have improved the game in the past two years that seems like it's gone and at least at this pace like Manfred's gonna go down this like in our lifetime, we'll see how these other commissioners go, but at this pace, like he's going to go down as one of the most like damaging commissioners. I think I know the sport in the short term is making money; and they did survive COVID and everything. But like, I have genuine concerns about the health of the sport. I don't see it being addressed sufficiently by owners or Manfred. Yeah, I mean, I, you'd have to look at it all.
0: I mean, I'm no expert on it. You know, Bud well, Seeley neither, certainly right? had his his problems, and you know the stuff with the Hall of Fame and uh, yeah, the yeah, lack yeah, of yeah. the steroid guys. But I think he's in there, even though he was the commissioner while all that was going on. And I don't know that anything will ever be as stupid as awarding home field advantage in the All Star Game uh, that Bud yeah. Seeley came up with. I think that's like the the worst idea and to me personally. I, I've never hated anything as much as that. Um, so the, all
1: baseball commissioners suck is is the is the ultimate
0: yes. Uh, so. But this is certainly not good, and the way this is all starting is is not good. the The really interesting thing about the the rule stuff that Jason Stark was pointing out is it's sort of been presumed, I think, that the DH, the universal DH, was coming, and at least you know, again, that's not going to be on the table until they get the the deal ironed out with the fiscal stuff, the economic stuff. Uh, So that's interesting, because I think a lot of people sort of just assumed that that was coming, and that seems to at least be in jeopardy now, and sort of the same, you know, maybe with the expanded playoffs and stuff like that, and and like we said, the pace of play stuff. I think that's pretty interesting, because a lot of that seemed to just be coming, right? Like, I think we were all just sort of anticipating that coming, and and you're sort of reading now
1: that they've got bigger fish to fry, so that that may not happen. You wish like some of these rule changes i feel as if they're inevitable and obvious i mean we're not going to go the next 20 years in baseball without the dh it, it's 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 going to happen to the national league it's coming so i wish we could just speed it up and get beyond this negotiation stuff and the concern about using rule changes as negotiation tactics to improve like the economics of the short-term nature of the sport like that sucks and so that's Like Manfred is responsible for that to to jeopardize possibly the immediate portion of the sport, but also the long term because of this is just like unacceptable. And I, from from our point of view, being Cubs fans, like you see some of these moves they've made. Like in my mind, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, I'm anticipating that a DH is going to be on this roster. So I'm sad to see that it's not going to happen. And I, I mean, I feel as if every, besides you, you're like an anti-DH person, which is fine. Well, I
0: get John's not here anymore, so my feelings <laughs> okay. on so it you, have... Hold on. Have you moved on then? Well, I, I mean, I've always, honestly... You've moved on. You've moved on. All, all things considered, I've always been a, like, both leagues should be the same kind of person. I, I always thought <laughs> that there so was God, a nice, like, sort of uh, symmetry between, like, the nine guys you send in the field or the nine guys that play right uh but moreover I just think it's always been kind of dumb that the leagues have different rules that just never really made a lot of sense to me especially growing up it's like one of those things where it's like this is kind of weird um but yeah like I, I think generally I you know if I if I'm not watching John Lester pimp home runs to the opposite field in a Cubs uniform my opinion on it is not quite as strong
1: I mean this is a surprise to me I saw all those Kyle Hendricks gifts out there when he was getting base hits last year I guess you just don't like watching Kyle bat now is that what you're saying
0: no I find it highly entertaining but I'm willing to have a more open discussion at this point okay if the Cubs re-sign John Lester it's all off I'm gonna watch him hit tanks you know
1: I wonder if that's a possibility. Like you, you just saying that, like, I, I could see that happening. The Cubs re Lester after this uh, lock. He doesn't really we'll fit see.
0: the hard-throwing moniker that Jed is supposedly looking
1: for. Well, maybe but... maybe Jed's going the other way. He's going like anti-trend, all <laughs> softballers. Yeah. It wouldn't be you the first time know. from the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, you never know. But I mean, like, for example, Corey, seeing Jan Gomes signed. In my mind, the significance of that was... Way, way more than just backing up Wilson because I'm thinking that gives Wilson an opportunity to DH and rest his legs while still getting getting his bat right. in the lineup. So, so to me, that that kind it doesn't negating's the absolute wrong word, but it does in my mind diminish the value of that signing, which well, I still think it, is it, phenomenal. It, it, it really
0: would force, and I I don't think the Cubs are are unique in this. First of all, it would have major implications on the free agent market. Um, you know, even someone like Anthony Rizzo, right, as he gets older, there would be more money for him if he were able to DH somewhere, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. and be able to to sit back. Um you look at someone like Nick Castellanos, right? Like he that's a huge thing for him, whether or not there's a DH that would that's transformative to his and and other players' markets but even just looking at the cubs you brought up the Jan Gomes thing like that was immediately obviously having a quality backup it would have made a huge difference for the cubs last year and there was no DH so th- that's not going to change it's still a very good deal whether there's a DH or not but part of the idea would have been that you have a you know a, an actual MLB catcher and you can let Wilson hit But not catch that day, right? And so that would be off the table, obviously. And you also look at someone like Nick Madrigal, right? Like that was one of the things he's, I I, I think there's a lot of discussion about his defense. I don't think it's as, uh, you know, average or below average as, as some people believe. But the ability to move him around and move Nico Horner around and utilize some of that versatility of those guys and get Madrigal's bat in there, but maybe have a better defender in Nico at second base sometimes, if if you also got a better defensive shortstop, like that would have been in play. And if there's no DH, like that there's nowhere else to put these guys. Madrigal's playing second base.
1: Yeah, and you're exactly right. The, the magical example actually might be the best one, even with Wilson and Young Gomes, because right now, Madrigal's defense, is it is hit or miss. I mean, baseball savant outs above average has him at the 75th percentile, magical, which is pretty good above average, but these are small samples, and we still need to see more. I know some scouts like his defense, some scouts don't like his defense, so it's, it's unclear, but... What is clear is Magical's contact rate, the ability to not whiff, that's among the most predictive underlying peripherals. And so he's going to be batting most games, I imagine. Like he's going to have to play second base most games. And if that's the case, then what does that mean for Nico? And what does that mean for the Cubs' shortstop plans? Do they want to go out and sign? Like a top tier free agent, and what does that mean for Nico then? Do they move him to the outfield? Is he going to be more of a utility guy? If there were a DH, then I feel as if Nico is probably the most influenced, actually the biggest beneficiary on this entire Cubs team because that gives him a chance to play more. Like I'm actually now that I think about it, I'm a little concerned of what the Nico route is because. Like, if they sign a shortstop, it's going to be difficult to imagine where he plays.
0: Yeah. I mean, there there's immediate impact to this. Uh, and again, they can still add this. The word now is just that that stuff is not going to be on the table for the owners until they've ironed out the financial stuff. So they can discuss it, but they want to get that discussed first. And if you read into that and you read into how lengthy this process may be, there may not be time to institute those rules after the fact. And they may have to come in another off season or whenever they're able to have these discussions again. But yeah, I mean, there, yeah. there's immediate impact. I mean, even looking, you know, continuing around the Cubs diamond, we talked about how many, and we're going to talk about Hermosillo in a second here, like how crowded that outfield was, like. If you have the DH, you can be a little more flexible with that. If you don't, well, then there's only so many spots for the guys slated to the outfield to play. You also look at first base. We've been talking about how the Cubs have accrued a pitching staff that's really good at generating ground balls, generating weak contact, and stuff like that. Frank is not a great first baseman. So there was a lot of discussion when you were looking at, well, maybe there would be a reunion with Anthony Rizzo if he wasn't getting great offers or if the Cubs wanted to bring one of the core back. And if there's no DH, well, that doesn't really work if you're intent on giving Frank a shot to see if what he did in 2021 is a real thing or, or something he can even get close to repeating or playing off of, right? You, you can't do both if there's no DH. So it, it has some pretty significant ramifications. Um, so it was kind of surprising to read that that, like I said, it was one of those things that I think a lot of us just assumed, like when I was watching the games last year, as someone who's generally been pro pitchers hitting, or at least enjoys watching them hit from time to time, like I was assuming I was watching this for the last time, right? and
1: reading this report from we all were.
0: Jason start the other day I was like oh okay well bring John Lester back then cuz he's got more <laughs> homers in there so
1: so that's a big takeaway
0: is no dh which means you have to bring John Lester back I think for most issues most of us should just be thinking of how does this impact John Lester yes
1: that's true that's true well I I think it's more of a reason to bring him back you get an extra bat kind of like a DH, Ooh, good back call. in that lineup yeah, you know yeah great call so
0: yeah, but yeah, so that's that's kind of where we are with the lockout. I, I We don't really have an idea of when they're going to get back at the table and talk about things. I would assume they take a, a pretty decent amount of time to sort of cool off. I think they had a lot of discussions leading into, you know, ultimately the decision to to do the lockout. A reminder that the owners did not have to do that, right? So something also to keep in mind, it's not like once the CBA expires, it automatically triggers a lockout. That was something the owners decided to do and the league decided to do. So keep that in mind as you're... Uh, without any free agency news and trades and anything like that like this is not a given that there has to be a lockout this is a choice by one side in the negotiations Um, if it's not obvious what side the Cubs related podcast is on uh, we are uh, certainly pro-order yeah yeah, right Uh, don't even say that right people can clip that Um, yeah, we're with the players here. So get, get, get that bag, uh, Ian Happ and and everybody else. Uh, Ian Happ, obviously working with the Players Association a lot. So Mm -hmm. that's where we are with that. We'll see. Um, could be a long time, could be, you know, not a, a pleasant process for us fans to go through. Uh, but that's sort of what happens here. But, do want to ha- talk, uh, as we've mentioned, what happened with Michael Hermosillo. So I think when we last spoke, he had rejoined on a major league contract. And ultimately what happened was he was non-tendered ahead of the tender deadline on November 30th. Um, the thought was that they might try to bring him back on a different deal, a minor league deal, whatever. And ultimately, what ended up happening is he came back on a major league deal. So it, it was kind of an an interesting process, but it was detailed uh, by Michael Cerami over at bleachernation.com. And what happened was. The Cubs stayed in contact. They had obviously hoped to bring him back. They they made that clear to him. But Hermosillo and his agent talked to other teams, the most interesting of which was a rather lengthy proposal from the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, and that was also a minor league deal. Uh, but how... Much they believed in him, in his talent, and the potential role that he might occupy, which even included him being at first base, which is not uncommon for the Dodgers to sort of move random guys to first base if they can. Uh, he, he they, they even had a call with Andrew Friedman himself to express their interest in Hermosillo and bringing him over to the Dodgers organization. And ultimately, all of this, the interest from several other teams sort of put that pressure on the Cubs if you want the guy, you're going to have to sweeten the pot a little bit, and they did. They gave him a major league deal. So he is back with the Cubs and not uh, on a minor league deal, on a major league deal. So I I think, um, clearly, we've talked about the Cubs outfield before. There's a lot of potential, there's a lot of risk, and there's pretty much not a single sure thing (laughs) in the group, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But... I am pleased that the Cubs, you know, made this kind of aggressive of a play. Firstly, I'm obviously intrigued that the Dodgers were so interested, right? The Dodgers have done a very good job over the last several years of identifying players that have potential, getting them in their system, and turning them into something that other teams were not able to do, right? There's countless examples of that. Um, And so such an aggressive interest from a team like that is always going to be, worth paying attention to. But we also saw the talent that Hermosillo has. He didn't get too much of a look with the Cubs, which I think you'll recall Brendan and I even complained about during the season that he wasn't just playing every day and and getting a real look. But you saw the tools, right? You saw the glove, you saw the speed, you saw the power, you saw a lot of this on display at times. And again, he he, wasn't, he he didn't get that much of a look. He, he wasn't able to put it all together. But I think, especially when you read what a lot of scouts had said about him in the past and analysts, like there really might be something there. And I'm glad that the Cubs are going to be the team that has the chance to figure that out.
1: Right. Well, you see that he was non-tendered non-ten- uh, and we talked about it in one of these episodes. I was like, huh, that 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 sucks because the story is good, growing up a Cubs fan, the Sammy Sosa fandom. It was cool for like I guess like our era of Cubs fans." But then you hear he signed in my brain did not even notice. It was a majorly contract. I just assumed They got him back on a minor league deal with like an invite to spring training. like That's what I thought it was. And you see, okay, major league contract? That makes no sense after not tendering him a contract. So the Dodger stuff is fascinating. And the stuff about going to first base with the Dodgers, if he would have signed there, really interesting. It sounds as if they wanted to make room for him. We did not get to see a lot of Hermosillo at the big league level, but the changes he made in Iowa it seemed to be directly impacting the success he had there. So there are other teams, one of them being the Dodgers who believe a ton in that change. So I think as a result that has to give us fans like more confidence that those changes are actually Real and worthwhile, and he's an athlete too. That's that's the interesting thing about Hermosillo is while he we don't know much about him because of the small sample size, we do know that even in his short time last year, he was in the 80th percentile of of sprint speed, which would be among, if not the fastest current cub on this roster. And then we know the, the homer potential. He had 10 home runs in Iowa in 186 plate appearances. We know the swing mechanical changes he made. So he is also not really chasing much. Even in Iowa, he had a uh, a walk rate of 14%. So we're looking at a player who's fast, who appeared disciplined. Granted, that's in A Iowa. And also... A guy who's hitting home runs who's an athlete it kind of like checks all the boxes plus he can play presumably every outfield position and i i guess if the cubs needed like a backup to the backup to the backup of the first baseman maybe he could do that so it does seem like we might have something here and it's it, we're, we're gonna have to see it right right now the cubs outfield situation is tricky but among the guys they've signed including like harold ramirez and Clint Frazier like I like Clint Frazier but there are significant question marks there as well and it's likely Frazier is more projectable than Hermosillo but like There's a gray area there where I'm thinking hmm, maybe Hermosillo actually is like more interesting because of the speed and the defensive versatility and and all of that. So I'm excited to have him back.
0: Frazier, another one. I don't know if we mentioned this when we were talking the DH. He he suffers from that as well. He's not a good defender, or at least has not been. And I I mean, he was among the worst. That the ability to you know sort of get him in a new environment, new team, change of scenery, all that and just hit right was part of the logic so not saying that there's not still value there there is but when you've got a guy who doesn't rate as a good defender like obviously the ability to hide that is of interest and that may not be there but yeah like look we talked last year about how Ortega would be someone who would be really interesting in a platoon and had probably played his way into earning at least a shot at that in an ideal world, right, if the Cubs are really going for it and intent on winning a title or bust in 2022, you would certainly like more certainty, more projectability, and just a a better group than what they have right now in the outfield. But if they're intent still on adding to the rotation, they still might need to make an addition or two in the bullpen. And if we're going to be at least talking in the bigger end of that shortstop market or bringing in somebody to be the full-time shortstop like I'm okay with this group right there's a lot of potential here you you look at the the names we've talked about like where does Nelson Velasquez shake out you've mentioned Brendan like when does Brendan Davis come up and, and is there space for him like I think if you play the pieces correctly, you get a one guy maybe out of that sort of uncertain group to break through and, and sort of turn into the, the the person that everybody's dreaming on. Like, I think it's fine if, if your priority is not in the outfield, if you're going to address those other areas. I, I do think that this group can be put together in a way that does allow them to be competitive, the competitive team that we're all kind of looking for i guess and and Mm -hmm. jed has talked about in 2022 again huge risk huge potential volatility but if you're going to invest the rest of your resources whatever they may be once this off season gets back underway if they figure out the cba i'm okay with the priority not being in the outfield Mm -hmm. i think there's more pressing issues across the diamond
1: I almost wonder, once the lockout does end, if we're going to see more trades from even the existing Major League roster. So looking at the potential options the Cubs might have to consider at some point, even in as early as July or June of next year with some of the prospects, we have nine outfielders. We have Hap, Award, Frazier, Ortega, um, Nelson Velasquez, Brennan Davis, all presumably at least going to get a chance Then recent signing Harold Ramirez and then we have Jaramillo and then Nico, if we do sign a shortstop is going to be pushed to the outfield um, to some capacity so that's nine guys, Corey that's not feasible, like For anyone's development, but also just to carry on your roster. So someone's going to have to get cut, someone's going to have to get DFA'd, or someone's going to have to get traded. And so I feel as if the Cubs, if they're confident in Nelson or Brennan Davis, then that, that is a true jam. That is not like some out of the world type scenario. That's a realistic scenario that they could be facing.
0: Yeah, so that's going to be tricky. Something to keep an eye on, and you know, again, like everything else, like we, this is kind of where we're going to stall things for now. A lot of interesting names, I know. Of course, you know, again, it's it's not the most exciting group, and you'd like more certainty there. You'd like maybe some bigger names and stuff like that. But I, especially with Hermosillo, like I like that the Cubs identified the skills with him. They liked what they saw even in limited playing time last year, and they believe in it to try and and, and give it a go here, right? And I think you you have to like that conviction a little bit. It, it, it would not be the first time across the league. And, you know, we just saw it, obviously not for a full season, but with guys like Wisdom and Schwindel, like sometimes you give these guys a chance and they break through and they show you things mm-hmm. that maybe— other teams didn't see or that wasn't previously shown when you just give them a chance um you know and and obviously I think like some of the 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 reason that the Dodgers are so interesting in this conversation is because Justin Turner and Max Muncie are two of if not the best two examples of that across the league guys that were discarded by uh I think the Mets and the Oakland A's and you identify some tweaks. You identify what skills the guys have, and you know all of a sudden you've got guys that are competing for MVP awards and All Star games. Mm-hmm. So, not saying that that's Hermesio's
1: future, but the Cubs at least believe that that's worth giving a try to. So, and w- one last note before you move on here to maybe some pitching stuff. But the we we haven't heard much about the Cubs hitting infrastructure. I think every episode we talk about the pitching infrastructure. But Sahada Sharma talked about Nelson Velasquez's changes and brought up like Justin Stone, who is the Cubs hitting director. And that made me think, okay, this is maybe the first example of a tangible effect that the hitting infrastructure has had. And we saw all the Cubs bullpen guys come out of the kind of out of nowhere last year. And we saw what they did with Alistair and all these other guys. Like we could be seeing maybe some of those hitting guys come out now. And to your point, like, I I think when we look at Hiram Ossio and we saw the success, maybe we need to give that more attention, right? And maybe it does make sense in a weird way to go with this group without significantly adding to the outfield. I don't know. It's a weird, weird thing to think about. Yeah. So let's take a look. Just, I think, a couple notes uh, on
0: the pitching stuff to sort of keep in mind here as we were... Uh, you know, as we, we go on with this lockout here, um, one thing that Sahadev Sharma and the Athletic was able to confirm is that the Cubs were in on Steven Matz before he went to the Cardinals, but they were only willing to go three years. The Cardinals obviously went four, and Matz went for that. Um, so that's interesting. The Cubs were also in on Kevin Gossman, but were not willing to go with that fifth year. And as it turns out, they were not in on John Gray, it sounds like, at all. So for Mm -hmm. a guy that was really connected to the Cubs and a lot of people thought made a ton of sense for the Cubs, uh, Jed Hoyer and the Cubs didn't see it that way. So we don't really know why, uh, but that just wasn't of interest to them. So I think interesting that that the Cubs were in on mats uh, and, you know, that they 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 clearly have a a limit and there's certainly a danger in not being willing to add those extra years right because ultimately with where the cubs are at right now of course i think we all understand why they don't want to lock in too many long term contracts especially for a guy that you know is is certainly not as as uh, guaranteed of a product in in a way. It's not a great way to talk about someone, but uh, that's what came out. Sorry, oh, wow. so objective. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, sorry. I, I, that's just how I said it. I didn't mean to. Um, but Matt's is far from a sure thing, is what I mean. And so I understand the the hesitancy to go for those extra years. But ultimately, as we know to be the case, the the counter is you just don't get the player right. Uh, but when we see them be a little more aggressive in terms of the yearly value for someone like stroman it makes all the sense in the world like i would much rather have marcus stroman for three years than steven matz for four it's not even close Mm -hmm. right um so that's that's just sort of where they are like clearly Kind of everything that Jed has said in terms of the intelligence spending and and honing in on guys and and being deliberate when you have those opportunities, we saw that with Marcus Stroman, and you kind of get a little more insight to that when you hear that they were interested in in, in a guy like Kevin Gossman and Stephen Matz, but ultimately decided not to pursue it at the terms that were ultimately agreed upon.
1: Right, the spending intelligently with the year given years given to John Gray. It it. You can see how that does not add up right with gray he does get four years now the annual average value is lower than stroman but there's there's a high degree of volatility with john gray beyond two years uh what does that fastball look like in two years already has problems what if the velo starts to dip um so i understand that perspective with steven Matz. I understand it as well. Going four years, what does he look like in that fourth year given the alternative options? And the alternative options were Marcus Stroman, and that is what Jet opted for. And of those guys, of anyone, of any pitcher signed, it's clear that the Stroman deal makes the most sense. Um, I mean, it's not even... I don't even think it's an argument. I mean, the projections, even Zip's projections for Strowman over the next three years are spot on. They value his projections right at 70 million. Strowman signed for 71. And this is assuming that there are zero changes to Strowman's game. If Strowman keeps his exact whiff rate or strikeout rate over the last three years and doesn't improve or change anything, he's already worth it. And I think there is a side to this where Strowman can not continue to improve. In that recent season, that he had with the Mets with that split finger is not some type of just, um, you know, natural randomness. That could be kind of who he is now. So there is a strong possibility that he's going to outperform those two years, three years. He may opt out after that second year. So, for the Cubs' perspective, I understand exactly why they were not in on gray. They don't want that volatility, it's clear. For Mass, it's the same thing. They don't want that volatility, but it does not mean they're not willing to spend because they did and probably outspend other teams on a shorter year annual average value basis. And I think they're going to continue to explore other options to complement this team. It signals the Cubs are in it, man. They're willing to spend money in the short term. that other teams are not willing to spend at this point now will they continue to do that by adding a lot of other guys i I think that's a possibility a strong one um and we'll see what happens but i i understand the logic and i think it's it's pretty clear what they're trying to do
0: yeah absolutely so you know once the lockout is is figured out once the cba is ironed out obviously that may depending on what concessions are made from which side, that may affect what the market looks like. It may affect the type of deals that are going to be out there, the urgency of players to sign, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, especially if this thing gets wrapped up, you know, and they're going to turn around and start spring training in a a couple weeks, whatever, like you may see a real frenzy of trying to figure out what to do and and things like that. This is also going to give front offices probably months to kind of sit back and take a a look at the landscape of the league. Like for Jed Hoyer, like you're going to have a little while to kind of look at your team Think about what you need. Think about where the rest of the division is, where the rest of the league is, and really evaluate your position with kind of a pause in the action, which I don't know if that changes any strategy or anything, but it's just kind of interesting as opposed to the normal course of action, which would be, you know, stuff just keeps happening, right? You have to be on your feet, head on a swivel because things are changing. Negotiations are happening daily. Now there's this kind of pause. You had some stuff happen. Now everybody kind of takes a step back, a deep breath, and you reevaluate. Evaluate things and then, of course, as we talk th- about, do you
1: still think they're talking? Like, is that even first off? Is that legal? I don't Can these think agents- so.
0: I okay. think I would assume they can get in trouble
1: for that, but I don't know. Well, I mean, not signing a deal, but like at least talking. I mean, if about, watching like, TV shows
0: has taught me anything, there's back channels and stuff like that, like in secret, <laughs> secret meetings, but I, I don't know if that's how it actually works in real life. Major League
1: Baseball style. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I always thought about that because we could be going three, four months. There's no way Scott Boris is just sitting there like that it's on his couch watching TV. Like I feel as if anyone, he's like working some type of like back channel.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. Maybe there's burner phones in play here. Like maybe they you know? Like
1: maybe Chris Bryant's actually signed right now. We just don't know. <laughs> right.
0: Them. Well, and I mean, that's the other thing too, you know, that deadline came quickly. Like you never know how close certain things were to getting done, you know, yeah. and how, how close guys were to signing or trades were to being agreed upon. And you kind of have to table them. And I guess in some cases just sort of hope that, the interest is the same when, when things mm-hmm. resume. I don't know. It's it's a
1: tricky spot. If you're Rizzo right now, I mean just seeing what other guys are going at position wise, um, like I'm kind of freaking out. Like you're gonna make a lot of money, so it's relative. But the five year seventy mil offer the Cubs gave him, apparently, like like Jet 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 was right. Like that's going to hold up well in free agency. And now you don't have a DH for next year if some teams are concerned about uh his back, or some teams are concerned that maybe the DH might not happen in the next couple years. I, 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 I honestly, I wonder what's going to happen to Rizzo's value. And if he signs elsewhere for like 50 million and the Cubs don't do that because of Schwindel, that's going to be an interesting reaction from a lot of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a
1: lot of, of
0: implications to be had from these discussions and where everything shakes out. Uh, we may just have to wait a while to get them. So, I think that's what we have for you today. Um, this is kind of going to be par for the course. I, I think, you know, hopefully we get some trickles of, of information as far as what's going on. And uh, I would assume we hear, we continue to hear from the players as they continue to be outspoken and, and try to make sure that their side is being heard and things like that. But uh, as it stands, you know, we will keep coming to you once a week. I, I would say we would jump on for an emergency podcast if necessary, but I don't think that's possible at this point. So uh, it's always there, but I don't think there's anything that could happen for a while now. So we will talk to you guys next week. As always, thank you for supporting the Cubs-related podcast, especially I, I was hoping we wouldn't have to do this again, Brendan, but uh, we we were very grateful to you guys for, for downloading and listening during the pandemic break right before they were able to iron out the details of that shortened season and we're grateful that you're here now and and as we go forward here when baseball has ceased to exist for the moment so thank you for that uh we will talk to you next week and whether whether the team exists or not in in the uh
1: you know sort of technicalities of the world as always go cubs